Welcome to Purple Politics Nevada. I'm your host, Lucia Starbuck. The name refers to the fact that the state isn't red or blue, it's both. As we gear up for the 2024 election, we're transitioning to a 30-minute format once a month to dig deeper into the issues. This month, we're talking about the state-run presidential preference primaries for both registered Democrats and Republicans on February 6th, and the state Republican Party-run caucus, which will take place two days later. My first guest is Jim DeGraffenreid. He's one of two national committee members for the Nevada State Republican Party. He's also spent a number of years in leadership for the Douglas County Republicans. For the second half of the show, I'll be chatting with Sandra Cosgrove, a history professor at the College of Southern Nevada to provide some historical context. Thanks so much for speaking with me, Jim. Thanks, Lucia. Great to be on. For first-time voters or someone who's never participated in a caucus, what can they expect? What does the Republican caucus look like? They'll sign in. The caucus requires voter ID. They'll be directed to their precinct location, and then they'll meet with people in their precinct, which is their neighborhood Republicans. They will discuss the county convention that will be following the caucus and precinct meetings, so they'll elect delegates to the county convention. They'll discuss what the Republican platform should look like for the next two years, and then they will be finally given the opportunity to speak in favor of their presidential candidate before balloting is done for the presidential nomination. That balloting will be on secret written ballot. The ballots will be opened as soon as balloting is completed, and the members of that precinct will count those ballots so that everybody has an opportunity to see that the count was correct and that the ballots were counted properly. And then all of those results will get reported up to the state party, who will then report them publicly, both statewide as well as by county and by individual precinct, so that the people who participated in the meeting will be able to tell that their vote was counted. Tell me more about the secret ballot process. So people will line up and put their vote on a piece of paper instead of saying, um, if you're voting for this person, stand in this corner of the room. Yes, exactly right. It's a paper ballot. Everybody will complete their own and place it in the ballot box. Even though those ballots are going to be counted by the people who are in the precinct meeting, only the person that casts that ballot is going to know when their ballot is counted. Um, And only that if they recognize their handwriting because there's no identifying name or anything on the ballot. So nobody will know how you voted unless you choose to tell them. How will someone be declared a winner from that precinct? The ballots will be counted, and then everybody will have a percentage of the vote. And delegates will be awarded based on the percentage of caucus votes that they receive. So if somebody receives, say, 50% of the caucus vote, then they will earn 50% of Nevada's delegates to the national convention. If somebody wins 25%, they'll win 25% of our delegates. This is a national rule that applies to the four early states that we have to award our delegates on a proportional basis as opposed to somebody winning the most votes and then getting all of the delegates from that state. What form of ID will be accepted? Any type of government-issued ID, like a driver's license, ID card. If you're a student at the university, a student ID card, passport. Would tribal ID count as well? 
Absolutely. And is it correct to say that the date to change your voter registration has passed at this point? Yes. The rules stated that you needed to be registered in the Republican Party 30 days in advance of the caucus. And so that would have been the 9th of January. So if a candidate is on the Republican primary ballot, voters will not be able to select them at the caucus and they won't be getting any delegates to represent them at the state and national convention. Why set it up this way? Primarily to uh, avoid confusion between the two. You can imagine the difficulty if the same candidates were going to appear on both the primary and the caucus ballot at the Republican Party's Central Committee meeting that happened after the state-run primary was put in place, the members of the party voted that candidates would need to participate in one or the other, and that the caucus would be the one that would assign delegates at the national convention. Most of the candidates accordingly then decided to compete in the caucus, which is where the delegates are going to be earned. Do you have any idea why a Republican candidate like Nikki Haley would sign up for the primary if she can't win any delegates? Have you heard from her or her team? We have not heard from them directly about the only thing we can think of is that because the primary is before the caucus, at this point, I think she would be almost assured to win the primary. And so she may be thinking that that's a way to gain a little momentum by saying that she won the Nevada primary, maybe without mentioning that not all of the candidates were in the primary. Can voters participate in both? And are you expecting voters to participate in both the primary and the caucus? Voters can participate in both because they are two separate events. The primary election is a state-run election, and then the caucus is an internal party process. And so there is nothing in in the law or in state party rules that prohibits somebody from participating in both. I have heard some voters say that they're concerned about they have a perfect voting record with the state, and so they would rather not miss the primary election. And so they're going to go ahead and mail in their ballot and just mark none of the above so that they keep their perfect voting record. Yeah, I've met a lot of voters at the poll who have proudly tell me that they've been voting as, as soon as they could and that, that they haven't missed an election. In 2021, the Democratic-controlled legislature and Democratic governor signed a state law requiring Nevada to transition to a presidential preference primary, something the Nevada GOP tried to block via lawsuit, which was just recently dropped. So why was it important for the Nevada GOP to still hold a caucus? Well, there were several reasons for it. We will be using voter ID, which is not a feature of Nevada elections, the transparency of having the votes actually counted within each precinct where everybody can see it. And then those results are immediate. Those votes will be counted that night and by late that evening or at worst the next morning, we'll have all of our results posted. The way Nevada elections are run these days, um, mail-in ballots are allowed to be accepted for several days after the election, and then they need to be counted. And so results are, are not known in a timely way. There's also um, the cost savings. We think that the nominating process is an internal party thing that Republicans and Democrats need to do and that they should be able to cover that themselves without asking the taxpayers to spend a bunch of money on it. Unfortunately, we didn't avoid those costs because at least two Republicans did sign up for the primary. And then finally, there's a party building component. It's very helpful to getting volunteers for the upcoming elections when you have candidates working to get grassroots Republicans involved to go to the caucus and to the primary 
primary to support them there because then those voters tend to continue on and be good volunteers. Let's talk about voter education. I'm talking to registered Republicans about how they're feeling ahead of February, but I've heard from a couple of voters who didn't have all the information they needed about the two processes. They weren't aware that delegates wouldn't be awarded from the primary. Walk me through what the Nevada GOP has done in terms of voter outreach. Sure. We have been emailing regularly to all of the Republicans that we have in state. At the end of December, we sent an actual mailing through the postal mail to prior primary and caucus participants, as well as new Republicans who had registered in Nevada since um, the last caucus to try and reach that audience of people. And then we've been very active in all of our social media channels and working through our county parties, as well as the state party to get word out. We will be publishing in newspapers throughout the state and, of course, directing everybody back to our website at NevadaGOP.org. Are you worried you might not reach everyone and there will still be voters confused by the time the caucus comes around? We are doing our best to reach as many as possible, but I think that There is a chance that there may be some voters who will not know exactly what's going on with it, but typically those are the voters who are not, unfortunately, interested in participating in the primary or caucus process in general. There are concerns that caucusing isn't fully accessible to voters with disabilities. In 2020, I spent time with a woman who was blind and had to rely on a family member to kind of help her out. I was in this uh, huge lecture hall at UNR. There was a woman also there in a wheelchair who had a difficult time getting around. What is the Nevada GOP doing to ensure that the caucus is accessible for all voters? We have two types of absentee balloting that are available in the caucus. The first one is for active duty members of the military who may not be able to caucus at their location. They can request from their county party um, an absentee ballot. We have the same process available for anyone who cannot participate due to any type of an ADA issue. They simply request a ballot. It gets sent to them with an ADA affidavit. They can complete the ballot themselves or if they need the assistance of a family member to do that sign the affidavit and then return that ballot back. And it's counted just as if they had come to the caucus in person. What about people who simply can't get there? They maybe don't have reliable transportation. Maybe they work late that night or can't find childcare. The weather can be very unpredictable. What if there's a major storm? How will you make sure those voters can still participate? By giving notice in advance, we hope to address most of the issues with work and childcare, um, et cetera. If somebody does have difficulty say with driving at night. The local county parties are generally able to assist with providing rides for those folks. At Donald Trump's rally in Reno this winter, when introducing him, Nevada GOP Chair Michael McDonald encouraged people to go out to the caucus and support Trump. How do you respond to concerns that the caucus favors Trump? I was actually not at that rally, and so I can't tell you exactly what the chairman said or what he was thinking when he said it. But I certainly have heard people say that they believe that the caucus is set up to favor President Trump. I don't believe that the caucus discriminates or favors any one candidate over another. It's really just the candidates who 
want to do the work and put in the time that do well at a caucus. You and Chairman McDonald, you've been indicted as a false elector. Do you think this will have any effect on the caucus? Obviously, I can't speak to the indictment because that's ongoing. But no, I don't think it will have any effect on the caucus. The caucuses are run by the precincts. They're not run by me. They're not run by Chairman McDonald or anybody else. Um, Each precinct is its own meeting and they elect their own precinct chairman, their own precinct secretary, and they conduct their business internally. It's one of the beauties of the caucus is that it is a purely grassroots affair, which is operated and managed by the people in the precincts. And so there isn't any ability for the party or any other entity to have any kind of um, thumb on the scale effect on what happens in the caucuses. With less than a month away from the caucus, how do you feel that there hasn't been a bunch of campaign rallies here in Nevada? That's actually sort of typical. The history of the early states is that for many years, it was only Iowa and New Hampshire were the only two early states and nobody else was allowed to go until the primary season got underway at the beginning of March. Then in 2008, Nevada and South Carolina were added to that schedule. And so now there are four early states that are able to have an effect and basically have an outsized influence on the early part of the process. And so typically we have seen a heavy, heavy focus on Iowa and New Hampshire simply because if candidates don't make it through those two states with a good showing, they may not even last until Nevada or South Carolina. That was Jim DeGraffenried, Nevada State Republican Party National Committeeman. Thanks so much for joining me, Jim. Thank you for having me on, Lucia. Appreciate the time. I'm Lucia Starbuck, and you're listening to Purple Politics Nevada. Now I'm with Sandra Cosgrove. She's a history professor at the College of Southern Nevada and is also very active in civic education. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So come February, there will be the presidential preference primary for both parties and the Republican-run caucus. First of all, what's the difference between these two processes? So a caucus is something that's run by the private political organization to kind of figure out where the majority uh, opinion lies within the party as to who the party should have as their nominee. And that's why we use the word preference. The voters aren't technically voting and then picking the person, they're advising the party as to who they would prefer them pick as the nominee. A primary is run by the state. Now, you would think, okay, if it's run by the state, then the private political organization is not involved. That's not true. The state is just running the preference primary for the private political organization to determine who the voters in that party prefer to be the nominee. How different does it look as a voter? What's the difference between, you know, casting a ballot versus showing up at a caucus? If you've never done a caucus before, you're used to a regular election that we have in the state of Nevada. You'll either get a mail-in ballot that you can use and you can drop it off, or you'll be able to go to any one of the vote centers and then just use the machine. If you do the preference primary this time, it'll look just like that. If you do a caucus, the party can run the caucus any way they want. The Democrats, before they went to the preference primary, it was like a three or four hour event. You would go to a room based on your precinct with your neighbors. You would stand in parts of the room that was predetermined for the candidate that you chose. The person that had the least number would drop off and you would have to go stand in some other part of the room, which is pretty much ranked choice voting. You're just doing it with your body until you got someone that had at least 50 percent of the people in the room saying they wanted that person. The problem with that is you have to be available on that one day for many, many hours and put up with kind of it being a little bit chaotic in order to participate. The Republicans in the past 
have done kind of a hybrid. From what I'm gathering that I'm reading on their website and hearing from them, it's going to be the same case this time, where you will show up and there will be a ballot and you can fill it out, drop it in a box and leave. Or if you would like to stay, you can talk to other people who are coming in. You can kind of go back and forth as who you want to support. Another difference between the presidential preference primary and the caucus is, you know, a difference in privacy. When you go to cast your ballot, the person next to you doesn't know who you're voting for. But in this caucus, it's this very public thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And it used to be for, you know, a hundred and some odd years in this country from the beginning, you know, the founding of the country. And that's the way people voted. Most people were not literate. And so you would voice vote. You would go in and there would be somebody sitting at a table or someplace and you would voice vote. The problem with that during the Gilded Age is that employers would have somebody standing in the polling place, basically ratting out the employees and saying, this is who they voted for, where the employer said you should vote for this other person. So one of the progressive reforms was to go to what's called the Australian ballot, meaning it's anonymous. And so now we're very used to going in and standing at the machine and your name is not on there. Or when you're doing your, your mail-in ballot, you only sign on the envelope. You don't put your name on the actual ballot because we want to make sure that there's not intimidation, that you feel free and safe to vote for whoever you want. But as you say, when you're in a caucus, especially if you're a young person or somebody feeling vulnerable, trying to force you into voting in a certain way, that's another reason why a lot of people have said we need to move away from this because this lies in the face of all of the other safeguards we have in our voting process. Fewer than a dozen states are actually going to hold a caucus this year, and in 2020, it was only a handful. What are some concerns when it comes to accessibility at a caucus? Because it's run by a private organization, you don't have the same ADA requirements as when the state runs something. When the state runs a primary, you have to have one machine that's ADA compliant in every polling location. We also have a law that says if you need help filling out your mail-in ballot because you have a disability, someone can help you do that. Those things don't apply to a caucus. They could, but they don't. Way back in 2004, I was actually a precinct captain in the Democratic caucus. We were in a huge gymnasium with four precincts. So there's four different groups yelling and screaming. And so I was forced by the time I got home. But there was a woman who was hard of hearing and we're in a room, it's echoing. So I had her stand right next to me so I could yell at everybody else and then turn to her to let her know what I was saying. But that was just me trying to help this poor woman. And so that's another issue is if a private organization is doing it, it might not be ADA compliant. If you go to the Nevada Secretary of State's website, it has information about the presidential preference primary. If you go to the Nevada GOP website, it has information about the caucus. Despite outreach efforts by both, are there concerns it'll lead to voter confusion or even disenfranchisement? Yes. And if we just went to an open primary, this confusion would go away. The Secretary of State just sent out a mailer. There's information that's going out. We're having a primary. You should be getting mail-in ballot. Now, it does say this is only for Democrats and Republicans. But I promise you there's going to be nonpartisan voters who are registered to vote that are hearing that there's an election about to happen who are going to panic because they didn't receive a mail-in ballot. So they're going to be calling the secretary of state or the county elections. They're going to be yelling, what's going on? They're going to be told, oh, you have to change your party affiliation. What? This is America. I should be able to vote. We've tried to get away from this to make voting clear, understandable. This is a disaster and the voter education around it is not meeting the mark. We saw on X, formerly known as Twitter, someone posted a picture of their sample ballot, falsely said, where is Trump, even though he's going to be on the caucus. You can kind of see some of the misinformation starting to form and circulate. Right. Colorado and Maine took Trump off the primary ballot. That's now being litigated up to the U.S. Supreme Court based on the 14th Amendment. Did he participate in an insurrection or not? None of that has happened here. 
but that's in the news that Trump is being taken off the primary ballot. So now you have Republican voters getting their sample ballot. Trump is not listed. They're assuming that he got taken off the ballot. He was never on the ballot. But again, there has been such kind of poor communication. They didn't know that. So they're very, very angry. They have already been on national news because I saw those news reports too. And people are having to explain, no, we actually purposely took him off the ballot and put him on a caucus. The presidential preference primary is non-binding, but according to state law, it still has to be held for both Republicans and Democrats. Why might a party choose to utilize a caucus over a primary? What's the strategy there? It's much easier for the party to control the caucus. If you know that there's maybe a certain candidate that the party leadership prefers, and you know that that person is more likely to have retired people or folks who work a nine to five and they're going to have a Saturday off, if that's their demographic, if you hold a caucus, you're more likely going to swing the vote in their favor. And in a place like Las Vegas, where people are working odd shifts, don't have childcare, and transportation might be a problem, that was becoming a bigger problem on the Democratic side. And that's one of the reasons they said, we're just excluding too many people. We need to go more to the primary, where there's early voting and mail-in voting and voting centers. So usually it's because the party is maybe trying to put their thumb on the scale for one or maybe, maybe two or three candidates knowing that one type of process would give them more of an edge. But then a companion question to that is, if you can't get delegates on the Republican side by being in the primary, why the heck would Nikki Haley put herself in the primary and not the caucus? Because I've been asked that question a number of times too. But I've been watching her in Iowa and New Hampshire, and she's getting a tremendous amount of support from independent voters. And so if she's looking at the caucus process, that's not pulling in independent voters. But this is going to be a closed primary as well. Only Republicans will be able to vote in the primary. But in Nevada, you can do up to same-day voter registration change. You can walk into the polling place and say, I would like to switch from being a nonpartisan or independent voter to a Republican vote, and then literally sit in your car and switch back. So it would not surprise me to see her coming into the state and maybe giving instructions on how you can change your party affiliation and change back. Because if she could say, look at how many nonpartisans it looks like switched over to vote for me, I do have that independent voter support. That's not going to get her any delegates, but it might keep her in the running longer. Why might a party not want someone? Why would they only want their base to participate? Why wouldn't they want independents to be part of the process? In the past, you had to be registered with the party a couple of months in advance. That gave them a time to educate you, talk about the party platform, get you energized. But fewer and fewer people were coming to the caucuses. Fewer and fewer people are registering as Democrats and Republicans. There's this idea that we only want the committed base voting. Your committed base is shrinking. And so if somebody comes in and registers same day, that person's not going to know everything about your party. They're not going to be super committed to your party. The Democrats, at least, seem to be willing to give up some of that control and say, okay, but we still have a whole year to keep talking to you. Apparently, you liked our candidate. We've been chatting about this very partisan process. You must be registered in one party or the other to participate. How are nonpartisans, independent voters, people affiliated outside of the two major parties, how are they feeling right now? I don't think they're aware that they are shut out. I think they're hearing, oh, there's an election coming up for the candidates. Who do I like? It's not going to be, I think, until that moment where they don't get a mail-in ballot, because that's a thing we expect now because we do universal mail-in balloting. When they don't get that ballot after the Secretary of State says they've all been mailed out, I think that's when nonpartisans will say, wait, why didn't I get a ballot? What's going on? Just like it was the sample ballot going out to the Republicans that triggered them saying, where's Trump? 
Are they getting information on the front end saying, you know, if you registered this way, just letting you know that it's a closed process? Do you think that they're aware when they click nonpartisan? I don't think so. Because if you come from a state like California that already has open primaries, you assume every state does it the same way. I always hear from the California people when their first election here, because they're like, wait, what are you guys doing? This is not right. We're terrible at educating people on civic processes. So most people who are new to voting don't know the difference between an open primary and a closed primary. They just know you go and vote. And so I think when they bump into it, that's when they get this, wait a minute, I'm a registered voter. Why are you telling me I can't vote? I hear that voting is important. I'm trying to participate. Why are you stopping me? Why do you think people are nonpartisan instead of a Democrat or a Republican? I spent a lot of time at a community college, so I spent a lot of time with community college students. And they're not apathetic. That's a fallacy. That's a myth. They're issue focused. And so they're interested in climate change. They're interested in what's going on in Israel and Palestine. And so they've got their list of issues and they're looking at the candidates saying, well, who aligns with my issues? They don't see, well, I'm a D or I'm an R. So for them, that party affiliation doesn't mean anything. They just want to be registered to vote and then pick whoever aligns with them. We've chatted in the past and you've mentioned veterans feel the same way. Yes, because a lot of active duty military personnel register as nonpartisan. You don't have to. But many of them feel like they represent the United States. They don't represent a political party. A lot of my veteran students or even active duty students, they stay registered nonpartisan because they're also issue voters. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing that nonpartisan voter registration tick up and up and up. It's not just because there's automatic voter registration at the DMV because you can opt it out and say, don't register me. I think we just have more voters that want to talk about issues not the parties, because whenever they hear the parties, it's that dysfunction that's going on in Washington. It's still worth noting that Nevada is an early state. The presidential preference primary will be third in the nation. The caucus will be second, first in the West. How significant is that, and what does it say about Nevada? Nevada holds a special place, I think, because we're early. And the reason that we're early is because when you're a presidential candidate, you usually hire a polling firm. And the polling firm is getting paid to reach out to different demographics of voters to see how they feel about your candidate. All those demographics of voters live in the state of Nevada. So this gives you an opportunity early on to test drive the results you were getting from your polling to see if that's accurate or not. And so regardless of anything else, a candidate knows they can come here and talk to the Latino community, talk to the immigrant community, talk to women, talk to retired people. They're all here. And they're real people. These are not, you know, slices and dices that a polling firm does. These are real people you get to talk to. So that makes us important. That was Sandra Cosgrove, history professor at the College of Southern Nevada. Thank you so much for speaking with me, Sandra. Thank you. My guest on the first half of the show was Nevada GOP National Committee member Jim DeGraffen-Reed. I'm Lucia Starbuck, and you've been listening to Purple Politics Nevada. You can catch all of our episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts. If you're a registered Republican in Nevada and would like to share your thoughts about the upcoming primary and caucus, Email Lucia Starbuck at ls at kunr.org.